Have you visiting with us this morning? Uh, my name's Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. We're actually working our way through Jesus' most famous sermon. It's a sermon that's found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. It's actually called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's so important to understand that the backdrop, the context for this sermon is the kingdom of God. And we've said every week that two things matter more in the kingdom of God than anything else. First is relationships are vital, the way we love and honor one another. And then the second thing that's so important in the kingdom is changed hearts. While the law, right, could only focus on our behavior, the focus of the kingdom is on changing our hearts, changing us from the inside out. And today, you know, you just heard the words of our Jesus. He talks about the kingdom of God as something that should be treasured, as something that should capture our hearts. Um, You know, and, and Jesus says that whatever it is that we treasure will always have a profound effect on our hearts. In fact, let's review those words one more time. Just look at the first couple of verses there. Jesus kind of gives two commands here. He gives command A and he gives command B. Command A is this, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And then here's command B, but instead store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now I want to notice a couple things. First, I want you to notice that Jesus does not appeal to morality. He doesn't say, uh, he actually appeals to our intellect. He's saying, look, uh, it's not just smart, it's, it's wise, uh, it's unwise to have a heart that gets all tangled up in your stuff. Because your stuff is going to break, it's going to rust, it's going to spoil, it's going to fall apart, it's going to become obsolete. And so why get your heart all tangled up in stuff that doesn't matter and won't last? And what's so fascinating to me, you know, Jesus talks about money often, and it's never ever about the money. Jesus never takes up an offering. He never points people to a thermometer and says, hey, we have this much further to go right? He never started a, hey, let's get me to Jerusalem campaign. He never started a GoFundMe account to pay for medical or living expenses. Here you have God in the flesh frequently talking about money, but never asking for money. And the reason for that is because when Christ teaches about money, it's not about the money. It's about something far more important and so much more valuable than just your trinkets and your toys. And what we're going to see today very, very quickly is that God's great desire is not for your checkbook. It's for your heart. And so uh, let's just flesh out command A, the do not, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So what Jesus is saying here with command A is that if we make the pursuit of our life, the goal of our life uh, around the accumulation of stuff, assets, trinkets, toys, savings accounts, 
that we're getting our hearts all tangled up in something, again, that doesn't matter and won't last. And again, he's just appealing to, to our common sense. He's saying, look, nothing is on your side if that's the goal of your life because the earth and everything in the earth wars against you. Listen, everything that you and I own right now is either in the process of moving toward a garage sale or to the dump. Everything. Every single thing. Everything that we own also needs to be maintained. Let me say it this way. This year's iPhone, you know where it's going to be in six years? It's going to be in one of your dresser drawers. Because you'll have a newer one and a better one and a more expensive, right? In the end, every single one of our trinkets and toys, they are perishable. They can't last forever. Everything we own, even right now, um, with the possible exception of our homes, is losing value and decaying. But even our homes are decaying, we know, right? Because we have to keep them up. We have to replace roofs when they go bad and repaint every once in a while. We get this. Somebody might say, well, what about gold? Well, listen, in something like a famine, you can't eat or drink gold. Golds and diamonds are useless in everyday real life. And so Jesus just says, look, don't spend your life accumulating temporary treasure, treasure that in the end won't last and doesn't even matter. It will have no value at all. But here's the problem with our stuff. And this is about me as much as it's about you. The problem with our stuff is even though we kind of know it's temporary and we kind of file that away, purchasing stuff can kind of be intoxicating. Like, and in our culture, our culture points us to stuff. Um, and it can so quickly move to the very center of our lives. Uh, so think about it. People actually, this is true of all of us, can actually, we feel better about ourselves when we get new stuff. I mean, why is that? How can a new car make me feel better, uh, uh, like as a human being? How can new clothes make me feel better about myself? Well, new gadgets and toys make us feel better, more put together, more, you know, um, in the know. I mean, isn't that absurd? But it's intoxicating and it can even become addicting. And sometimes we buy not because we need we buy because we're addicted to the response that getting something shiny and new gives us. It's, we, we buy not always intellectually, but we, sometimes we spend emotionally, right, to make us feel better. Think about it. What do you want to do when you, when you celebrate? You want to go out and spend money, right? What do you want to do um, when you're sad, you want to go out and spend money, right, to make yourself feel better. What do you want to do um, when, uh, you know, you, uh, you want to just live? You go out and you buy something, right? We just, we buy for the emotional response. And I'll tell you this, in our culture, we do this because we believe a myth. And the myth is this, it's, it's a myth of more, that more stuff, better stuff, the latest stuff will make me happy. And friends, this is the grand lie of our culture. And if you spend any time at all accumulating stuff, you know this. Well, Jesus enters the fray of that and he says, look, 
Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where men are prone to break in and steal. Just stop the insanity of that. And then command B is the, uh, the important one, verse 20. But instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So he's just saying, look, he's encouraging us to invest in something that will last forever. It, it won't decay. It won't go bad. It won't spoil. It won't fade. It will always last. He's saying, look, I'm giving you an opportunity as human beings to invest in what is eternal. And so we're not just sowing seed into the garage sales of the future, but we're sowing into stuff that matters and lasts forever. I mean, uh, and so here's where we're going to get a really clear picture of uh, that God is not after your stuff. God doesn't need your stuff. He doesn't. It's not about God's needs. God does not need you or I to fund his mission. He doesn't. He does not need you or I to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. But he does need to know what your heart loves. And it's so easy to say, oh, I love Jesus. Oh, I'm committed to Jesus. But then align and invest our treasures in all the ways that suggest otherwise. And Jesus says, I believe your checkbook, not your mouth. Right? I, I believe what you do, not just what you say. And so, if your treasure is in your trinkets and your stuff in your house and the cars, if those things become identity markers for you, in other words, in our culture, here's what we do. If I drive a nice car, I am somebody. If I wear nice clothes, I am somebody, right? And there's a pressure in our culture, right, to define our identity by the kind of homes that we own, the kind of cars that we drive, the kinds of clothes that we wear. And there's this pressure. And, um, and Jesus says, look, when your heart gets tangled up in stuff like that, that's toxic for your soul. That's terrible. Now, I want to be clear about something. There is nothing wrong with wealth. There is nothing wrong with nice houses, nice cars, nice clothes. Wealth in and of itself is not sinful, but it becomes a problem when our wealth owns us, when it becomes a status symbol, when we begin to derive our identity and our significance from the things that we own. When they define us, when they manage us, when they drive us, when we work overtime simply for the accumulation of more and more things, Jesus says, you are being foolish and you are off track and you are not following me. And what's so scary about a topic like today is that's exactly where our culture points us, every one of us. He says, look, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. See? And so listen, if what is uppermost in, the effect, in your affections is how people perceive you, then 
you know, you're going to, that's an expensive lifestyle to maintain, right? Because you've got to buy the right kind of clothes. You've got to be fashionable. You've got to be whatever society says you need to be, right? And this puts pressure not only on your finances, but on your relationships. Do you know that people build relationships on these kinds of superficial things? Oh, I like the way he dresses. Oh, I like the way she looks. So they try to build relationships. And when you try to build relationships on a superficial thing, you know what kind of relationships you end up with? You end up with superficial relationships. And God says, look, in my kingdom, no relationships are meant to be superficial. And they will stay superficial because they're based on something superficial, which is an image that you want to project, whether it's online or in real life. And it's an image that is often very expensive to maintain. And Jesus is just saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. So put your treasure on things above so that heaven serves as a magnet for your thought, as a magnet for your heart. Get your treasure up there so that you're molded by me and not all this transient stuff that's on its way to the dump. In fact, look at what he says, uh, and he makes no bones about this. Look what he says in verse 22. He starts talking about the eye, but he's really still talking about our hearts. And he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, if your heart gets all tangled up in temporary stuff, if your heart is bad, everything in your life is going to be tainted by that. Every relationship Every purchase, the way you think, the way that you behave, it's all going to be tainted. It will taint everything in your life. And one of the other things the Bible says, some of you know this, the heart is deceitful above all things. Well, if our hearts are tangled up in our treasures, in our trinkets, in our toys, they cannot, Jesus says here, they, they will not be redeemed for God. Because Jesus says very plainly, you cannot serve. He doesn't say it's not a good idea to serve God and money, probably shouldn't do that. He says, it's impossible. It's impossible to have your heart all tangled up in two different things. And if your treasure is on earth, then you have to defend that treasure. You have to protect that treasure. You have to put a lot of energy into that treasure. I mean, you have to insure it. You have to clean it. You have to dust it. You have to organize it. You have to mow it. You have to wax it. You have to wash it. And yet with all of that, right, with all of your, our efforts to preserve our stuff, one day it's going to end up in the dump. One day it will decay. It can always be stolen. That's one of Jesus' point. And what God is saying is, you know, when your heart gets divided like that, when you try to build a life on things and the acquisition of things, it's an empty promise. Uh, it, yeah, you can't do it. There's actually an ancient verse that talks about what happens to people. Remember earlier I said that wealth is not a bad thing. It's not. But there's a temptation that comes along. There, actually, there are several temptations that come along with wealth that can be super problematic. Here's what one ancient verse says about it. The wealth, this is Proverbs 10, 15. The wealth of the rich is his fortified city. 
Now, in that day, if you had a fortified city, that represented, that represented safety, that represented security, that represented provision and abundance. Because if you had a fortified city, that means you had a city, that means you had the city with walls around it. It couldn't be easily overtaken. It also meant that you had a city where you had lots of stuff stored up. So that in case of hard times, you know, you could fall back on some of the stuff, some of the food that you had stored up. And so this is what what he's saying is this. Rich people tend to trust in their stuff for their security and their safety. They may even think they're trusting in God but they're probably not. They're trusting in their stuff. And that's a very unique temptation, you know, that comes along. That, that to, the temptation to rely on our security and safety from our stuff as opposed to from God. The temptation to rely on our stuff as a status symbol, as a, a sign of, hey, I'm lovable, I'm worthy, instead of leaning into God for that. See, some of us spend so much time trying to project an image to other people. Hey, I'm lovable. I'm worthy. When God says, no, I already love you. You don't have to, you know, cast some kind of image or spin. You know, I love you the way that you are. Now, he loves you too much to keep you that way. He doesn't want you to stay the way that you are. But he loves and accepts you just as you are. And I'll tell you another temptation that comes with treasures, trinkets, and toys. That is, when my identity and security comes from my stuff, and I begin to amass a lot of stuff, I start to think that I'm a little bit smarter and a little more deserving and a little bit uh, a step ahead of everybody else, and that's why I have all this stuff. But listen, friends, there is no such thing, no such thing as a self-made person. I don't care how many self-made people you read about in magazine articles or you watch interviewed on television, there is no such thing. This is one of my favorite stories. So the CEO of a large Fortune 500 company is driving along with his wife They pull into a service station, and this was back in the day when they actually had full service service stations. If you're over 40, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Somebody would run out, they would wipe your windshield, then they would fill up your car with gas. Those have gone away. But when when I was in college, I actually worked at one of these, and I did that, but I digress. So this guy pulls into the service station, the attendant comes over to fill up his tank, the husband goes in to pay, you know, for the gas. He comes back out to find his wife just engaged in this animated conversation with this service station attendant. He gets in the car and as they drive away, he says, hey, what were you two talking about? Well, she tells him she actually knew this service station attendant in high school. As a matter of fact, he used to be her boyfriend. They used to date. Well, the CEO's feeling really kind of smug and superior about this. So after a little while on the road, he says to her, I'll bet I know what you're thinking. 
I'll bet you're thinking that you're glad you married me, the fortune, the CEO of a fortune 500 company and not him, a service station attendant. And she said, no, that's not what I was thinking at all. Actually, what I was thinking is that if I had married him, he would have been a fortune 500 CEO and you would have been a service station attendant. Isn't that a great story? There is no such thing as a self-made human being. And part of the seductiveness of wealth is that we forget to think thoughts like, who gave me my mind? Who gave me my drive? Who gave me the opportunities that I've been given? Who gave me, uh, you know, my gifts, my skill, my skill set? Who did that? I mean, listen, where do you think you came from? I mean, do you think that you generated that from nothing? No way. Here's what the Bible teaches. Everything comes from God. And to put this in perspective, I don't think if you were born in Mongolia in the year 1200 that you'd be doing so well. I don't care how hard you worked. See, part of it is where God places us and the time that God places us in, right? And the gifts that he gives us. It all comes from him. Um, there is a fundamental, foundational spiritual principle that every single one of us have to deal with. It's coming to grips with who owns the stuff. I'll tell you another great story about this because deciding whose stuff it is changes everything. Everything. It changes our attitudes. It changes our behaviors at a very, very profound level. And there's just a great story that illustrates this. So there was a woman who was traveling between flights at an airport. She goes to a a store. She buys a small package of cookies. She sits down, she she opens up a newspaper, she begins to read her paper, and gradually though, she becomes aware of plastic rustling, like somebody's, you know, messing with her little packet of cookies. So she lowers the news, uh, she lowers her newspaper, she's flabbergasted to see a neatly dressed businessman taking one of the cookies from her package and eating it. Not wanting to make a scene, she leaned over, took a cookie for herself, thinking, well, you know, maybe he'll get the hint. Well, a minute or two passes, she's back into her paper, and she, she hears more rustling. And she looks up and sees that he's helping himself to another one of her cookies. She's beyond flabbergasted. Now she's just angry. She is so mad. Who does this guy think he is? And then, as if to add insult to injury, the man, right while in in full as she's looking at him, takes the final cookie out of the bag, breaks half of it, gives half to her, takes half himself, puts it in his mouth, and just walks away without saying a single word. She couldn't believe it. Well, in that moment, you know, she hears the announcement, right, that her flight's getting ready to leave. So she reaches into her purse to grab her ticket, and as she pulls her, her, the ticket out of her purse, she is shocked to see her cookies in her purse. Yeah, the whole time she was thinking this guy was eating her cookies, she was eating his. Listen, everything changes when you know who the cookies belong to. 
everything changes. Listen, coming to grips with whose cookies are they is one of the critical issues of the spiritual life. And it's so easy in our culture to get confused. And I'll tell you why we do it. Maybe your kids weren't like this, but there were a lot of things we didn't have to teach our kids. Our kids picked up a a lot of bad habits, not from us, probably from you. But anyway, I digress, right? Like they would do stuff like this. And usually the older one would win. So they'd be fighting about something and whoever was bigger and stronger would end up with it. And then they would always say a word. What was the word they would say? I didn't have to teach my kids that. Did you have to teach your kids that? No, they know, right? And we believe that from a very, very early age and it marks us and it taints our heart. Friends, it is not yours. It is his it all belongs to him. Here's what the word has to say about this. This is Psalm 24, one, it's so beautiful. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live on it or in it. The earth is the Lord's and what in it? What's the word? Yeah, in the Greek, that means everything. Like what's left out of that word? Not much. They're God's cookies. It's God's house, it's God's clothes, it's God's IRA, it's God's car, it's God's body. Every single bit of it is God's stuff. So the question comes into play, how are we using what, how are we giving back to God a portion of that which he has so graciously offered to us? And God says, look, if your heart worships the stuff I give you instead of me, that taints your heart in ways you don't want your heart to be tainted. And Jesus says, look, if, are you investing the best, first, finest of your treasures, toys, and trinkets back into the kingdom of God, or is your life about your little kingdom, paying your little kingdom bills? You know, remember that we said all along that the kingdom, the backdrop for the Sermon on the Mount is the kingdom of God. And by the way, if you think I'm building for a big ask, listen, here's the good news. You're going to continue to be uncomfortable, but you're not going to continue to be uncomfortable because I asked you for some money. I'm not going to ask you to give a dime of your money today to Shelbyville Community Church. So, just take a brief, deep breath. Your wallet is safe, right? What your, your, whatever it is you use, to, it's safe, okay? But I'm going to ask you a harder question. I'm going to ask you a question that's more valuable than that. And that is, what is your heart tethered to? Is it tethered to God? And, and does your checkbook line up under that? Because Jesus said, I mean, this is so, these aren't, these, aren't, these aren't my words. These are Jesus' words. You cannot serve both God and money. Or is your heart, you know, are you drawing your identity? Are you drawing your sense of safety and security? In other words, hey, I'm good because I have a gracious heavenly father who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's kind of a way of saying he owns everything. And he is front and center in my life and he is going to provide for me. Are you leaned into that thought or are you leaned into, no, I'm good because there are a number of zeros in my savings account. And I don't mean zero in your savings account, right? And Jesus just says, look, don't do that. And, you know, and the reason that we called this series blessed is because the kingdom of God is available to any of us, 
at a moment's notice. It is available to those of us who walked in here this morning feeling left out. It is available to those of us who walked in here feeling lost and helpless. It is available to those of us who walked in here feeling overwhelmed. It is available to those of us who walked in here incredibly and unbearably lonely. And God says, I'm here. My kingdom is here. You can come to me. You can find life in me. And, and that's at any moment. And the really good news is that the kingdom is also available to men and women whose hearts are all wrapped up in their trinkets and their toys. The kingdom of God is even available to them. And that's such a beautiful thing. And the even better news is God says, look, you can actually use, take some of your trinkets and toys and you can invest those in a way that they're not invested in temporary things anymore. They're invested in what, what matters and what will last. And there's only two things that matter and last, people and heaven, people and eternity. Friends, everything else is going away. Everything else. One day, everything you work so hard for, everything you work so hard to maintain, Every little leg up you tried to get, one day you will slide all that back across the table and it will go right back to God. You may think you're giving it to an heir, but they'll only get it for a short time if it lasts their lifetime, right? So God just says, look, do what's smart, do what's wise. And God says, it's the only way I can really know where your heart is. Because where you put your treasure, that's where your heart is going to follow. So I'm going to ask you, where is your heart? What, is your, what are you trusting in? What are you depending upon? You know, are you invested in his kingdom? And friends, listen, this is a game changer. And let me tell you why. It's a game changer because when you begin to believe that everything belongs to God, like so for example, this church belongs to God. This church does not belong to me. Praise be. Because if it belonged to me, it's too big. If it belonged to me, it's too much. If it belonged to me, it's overwhelming. If it belonged to me, it's impossible. But fortunately, all things are possible with God, right? It's his church. And so I can trust him to provide for this church. I can trust him to care for this church. I can trust him to give me the stamina and the strength to lead this church. But I got to be clear on whose church this is. And guess what? You got to be clear on whose stuff is your, this, you know what I'm trying to say. That was going to come out way more eloquently than it did. In my mind, it was eloquent, right? But you got to be clear. We all have to be clear about whose stuff it is. And I'll tell you a couple other ways that you can learn to treasure. So one way to, 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 to have a heart that loves the kingdom of God, that loves Jesus, is you can start to invest some of your treasure there. And so maybe, you, maybe you're, you're like, you know what, pastor, if I'm honest, I'm just too wrapped up in my day-to-day -day life. I don't think much about the kingdom. I don't love the kingdom. Truth be told, I'm really more committed to my kingdom. Jesus says, look, you can fix that. 
You can start to take a little bit of your stuff and you can start to put it in the kingdom and then your heart will follow along and one day you'll wake up and you'll love the kingdom. And there's a couple of other ways you can do that too. You can do that with your time and your talent. You can do that by serving, investing in the kingdom with your time and talents. Like, listen, and, and this is a sermon about doing something, not knowing something. It's so easy sometimes to hear a sermon and think, okay, I'm a better person because I know that. It's not about knowing. This is a sermon about doing. And then finally, there's another way you can invest in the kingdom, and it's so beautiful. Everybody in this room has a friend that they love, friends they care about, friends they want the best for, coworkers that you love. People that you bump into every day, right? And weeks ago, I asked everybody a question. I said, who is your one? Who's the person that you're praying for? Who's the person that you're, you're, you're talking to about Jesus? You're, you're actively asking them, how can I pray for you today? Who is your one? Because you can't influence everybody, but you can certainly influence somebody, right? And so we should all always have a one, Somebody that we desperately want to lead to Jesus. Who is your one? Invite that one next weekend to our Easter service. I want you to imagine what it would feel like for just a minute. Let's say you have a friend or a family member that doesn't know Jesus. You invite them next week and they resonate with something they hear and they open up their heart and their mind to Jesus and their life begins to change. And you made a deposit in that, right? You made an investment in that. You know what you're going to feel? You're going to feel profound joy. God's going to share his joy with you. He's going to pat you on the back and he's going to say, well done, a boy, a girl. You did good. I used you. I used that relationship. I used your invitation. I used your church for my glory. And I did that. And in that moment, you will have an investment in the kingdom of God. And you'll love the kingdom more because of what it's doing, not just for you, but for your friend and for that family member. And so by all means, take advantage of the opportunity to invest in a friend um, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to ask you, begin to pray and ask. And listen, I know some of us, we're petrified, right, of rejection. Well, what if they say no? Well, big deal. They're already not coming. So what's changed, right? I mean, that's the worst thing that can happen is they're going to say, no, I'm not interested. But some of you are going to be surprised because they're going to say something like this. And we, we're not good at this as people. We don't actually say, yeah, I'm desperate. I want to kill myself. So thank you. I'm in. I want to come. We don't share that kind of stuff, right? This is why suicide is such a problem because we, we hide. You, know, you don't know what your friends are thinking and you don't know what they need. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you one thing they need. They need Jesus. They need a savior. They need somebody to give them strength and courage to get up every single day and do whatever he would ask them to do. He provides purpose and meaning and color in a drab, colorless world. And you can be a part of that. So let me pray for us. And then, oh, and by the way, one last thing of good news as it relates to your treasure. Here's something incredible. There are literally thousands of organizations around the world committed to furthering 
the kingdom of God. Literally thousands of them. Thousands of organizations committed to uh, doing ministry in Jesus' name and making the name of Jesus great in our world. And you and I can invest in any of those. And that's kingdom work. That's kingdom treasure. And so I'd encourage you, find organizations that you believe in and then begin to invest in those. It doesn't, ha- there's, I mean, like, here's, here's what's so cool. The kingdom of God is way bigger than this church. It's way bigger than what God is doing here. And aren't you glad for that? I am so glad for that. And so we have an opportunity to move the needle, all of us in the room, on the kingdom of God amazing that our God would invite us to partner with him in that way. Friends, that is a privilege. It is an opportunity. It's not a burden. It's not something we have to do. It's something we get to do. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much that not only are you so generous with us, but Jesus, we recognize and we remember that it's through your poverty that we became rich. We remember that it's through your suffering that we can share fellowship with God. We remember that. And God, so um, we just ask you to change our hearts, not just change our behavior. God, change our hearts. Untangle our hearts from things that don't matter. And we won't give a, you know, we won't give any, we won't give a, I'm I'm speechless. (laughs) Lord, that that don't matter and won't last in a hundred years. Things we, we won't even care about in a hundred years. Help us. Attune our hearts, turn our hearts, help us to better love your kingdom. Help us to better invest in things that matter to you and will last for eternity. We ask and pray in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said. Amen. Hey, so listen, you know, uh, the first Sunday of every month we take communion here and I just want to walk you through how we do that if if you're a guest with us. So you can see we have tables here in the front and in the back. So in a moment, I'm going to release you and you can come either forward or you can go backwards. We will serve you. We'll give you uh, a piece of bread. We'll give you the cup and then you can either come back. You're going to be comfortable doing one of two things. You can either then come up here and treat this as an altar and kneel here with your family or you can use the center aisle or the edges to go back and funnel back into your seat but when you do that you're going to hold on to that bread and you're going to hold on to that cup because there's power in together and at some point as we continue to worship I'm going to come back up and I'm going to prompt you and then we're going to take that together. We're going to, we're going to take it as one. Um, because, and here's why we do that. Because I think sometimes there's a temptation to think, well, my relationship with Jesus is about me and Jesus. It's about an individual and Jesus. And nothing can be further from the truth. When Jesus called the disciples, he called them into community. He called them not just into fellowship with Jesus, but fellowship with one another. And that was part of what was meant to help grow them because they were meant to grind on one another's nerves in such a way that they became more like Jesus, right? 
And that's what um, commu- this commu- taking communion this way reminds us of that. This is not just me. This is us. This is us together following Jesus. So let me pray. Hey, Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to do this together, to worship together. God, again, do a good thing in our hearts and in our minds as we remember your body offered up, your blood shed. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen.